Comedian, actor, and filmmaker Rudy Ray Moore is a legend. In the 1970s, the trailblazing entertainer paved the one-of-a-kind path to reach the masses by self-producing his own comedy albums. Years ahead of his time, the iconic performer went on to break decades-long barriers in Hollywood by producing and starring in his own films that took the urban scene by storm. On the big screen, his larger-than-life character Dolomite tackled injustice and racism with unbelievable feats of action and humor. Moore persisted in delivering his brand of comedy to fans on stage, vinyl, and motion pictures. Initially marketing and distributing his film throughout the country by making guest appearances on urban radio during the day to promote showings in theaters at night. He continued that success by releasing a slew of movies that went on to infiltrate pop culture. In the 90s, after being sampled on countless records, he became a hip-hop icon in his own right. Scenes from his films went on to be used on other major motion pictures during that decade, which further bolstered his legacy. Although the groundbreaking performer and auteur passed away in 2008, his impact continues to be celebrated. More recently, with a new Netflix film starring Eddie Murphy as Moore in Dolomite Is My Name, the movie enjoyed a limited theatrical release and is currently garnering rave reviews since debuting on the streaming platform. On this podcast, we present a 1996 interview that I had the pleasure of conducting with the legend himself. Despite his film persona, Moore was immensely conscientious and gracious. I've always cherished the opportunity I had to chat with him both on the air and off, and during a later meeting while he was promoting reissues of all his classic films for the home video market. Beyond his immense charm, I was greatly inspired by his entrepreneurial spirit that led him to beat all odds. It's my pleasure to present the Rudy Ray Moore interview. You're absolutely right, because I am truly great. I'm not conceited, I'm merely convinced. First thing I want to know is where the connection came in, do you feel, from the legendary superstar Dolomite, Rudy Ray Moore, into being almost like a hip-hop icon? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. There's a lot of rappers around, uh, Tupac and... That was the late great Easy E and Ice Cube and all of them. They all rap good. Right. But when it come down to rapping, when I say I was through with it before they learned what to do with it, <laughs> that means that I started it. And therefore, they call me the godfather of rap and all the Indeed. other rappers behind me are my children. Indeed. So uh, this is how uh, I got to be that is that I started out many years ago rapping and as a result of that a lot of the young rappers has patterned themselves behind me indeed they've sampled my record 61 times that i know of okay now. okay could be a lot more right. but that's how i got to be uh the uh rapper of today is i was the rapper of yesterday and the youngsters today uh chip off the old block given the props where the props are most definitely deserved that's that's basically it and how do you feel about people sampling your music? 
I, I mean, your, your, your words, actually. I love it. Dr. Dre, the, one of the great rappers of our time today, sampled me six times on his album, mm -hmm. The Chronic. Okay. And out of The Chronic, it gives me nice money. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm very satisfied <laughs> with it. So, in other words, you like it a little more when they when they give the proper due where it belongs, obviously. Don't you just know it? And they're going to pay now <laughs> if, they, if I catch them. They got a pair of the records yanked off the off the market, uh -huh. and whatever they use, it it works well because uh, it helps the record. In other words, they don't be out there just using me just to put me on there. Right. They want to uh, have something that is going to give the record a bit of lift and a bit of controversy. In right. Other words. If they weren't sampling Dolomite, if they weren't sampling you, what would you feel about hip hop just in general? What's what's your opinion on hip hop for today? Well, I like uh, the hip-hop music. Uh, hip-hop lives uh, in Los Angeles on a radio station there with the mm -hmm. Baker Boys. And, uh, well, I listen to them all the time, and I enjoy their music. But sometimes some of the X-rated uh, versions of some of my rappers' things today is a little bit too far out. And I try to explain to them to use the explicit language in certain spots where it has the greatest impact and not use it just to be using it. I don't uh, knock uh, their performances and what they do, but I don't uh, totally endorse the structure of all of it. Right. But I endorse their efforts. Right. Before you got into movies, you were a stand-up comic. I was a stand-up comedian and a G-rated version. Okay. I told all clean jokes. I didn't tell anything explicit, and I worked all of those years without a hit record. Okay. All nice, clean, stand-up comedy, family type. All right. And I couldn't make a quarter. So I turned around and come out with the explicit language mm -hmm. comedy. Being the world's first comedian on the face of the earth to take a bold approach of doing comedy using ghetto expressions. Mm -hmm. I don't call them dirty words. I call it ghetto expressions in a form of art. Right. Because if you noticed all of my material, like Dolomite, the signifying monkey, and Shining the Great Titanic, yeah. <laughs> were stories that I told. And I wasn't using explicit language just to be using it. I was telling it just as it was on mm -hmm. the street level. And it turned out to be a form of art. And it worked for me. And uh, as, as a result today, the new rappers today is picking up part of that, using it in their raps. Indeed, indeed. So what year was it actually that you first started doing comedy? I first started doing comedy. Well, I've been doing it uh, 31 years. And uh, before that, I was toying around with it for five more years before that okay so uh in the uh 60s i was doing it in the 1960s Indeed. in 1970 i got my first hit record that's 26 years ago i hit with a record called eat out more often that featured the monologue dolomite mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and in the monologue dolomite it was the character that i'd done that was so well received so therefore i titled myself rudy ray moore Eels, mm -hmm. Dolomite. Okay. And uh, weren't you on the radio at that time in Los Angeles? Yes. I was spinning records in a record store. 
doing uh, uh, midnight shows, midnight to five o'clock in the morning. Okay. And people would line up, come to the wind and stand there and watch me. And such great artists as James Brown, Johnny Taylor, even Eartha Kitt come down once uh, to be with me on the radio. So I had a good time in my radio years. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people say, well, we on the air. You can't say nothing. I said, man, I was on radio before you were born. I know what can be said on there. <laughs> Let me hear what you were spinning. I was spinning such records as uh, uh, Baby, I Love You by Aretha Franklin and uh, 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 Otis Redding's uh, Classic material. Classic. Well, I Indeed. love to play all Indeed. the time. I would love to get a tape of that, though. I would love to get a tape of Dolomite. Radio personality. <laughs> Can you dig? Well, I was a radio Indeed. personality, Indeed. and I'm glad to have had that experience because after that, I was able to meet people, stand up on the stage, and have a perfect flow of performance. After I left the record store, before I come to the mm-hmm. radio show, I would work in a club called the California Club doing stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. And I had such acts as Etta James, Ike and Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. You remember the, the oh, lovely Tina Turner today that's got to be such a big, huge megastar. Mm-hmm. They were some of my uh, acts that I used to MC for. And B.B. King, Bobby Bland, name them. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, even the late, great Sam Cooke. I worked mm-hmm. with him. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So there's no, so then I take it there's no correlation between the Avenging Disco Godfather and and your original days as a, as a uh, radio personality or, or DJ? No. This okay. was a story that we did where I was spinning uh, records in the disco. Right, right, right. The disco mm-hmm. Godfather mm-hmm. and put mm-hmm. your weight on it, put your weight mm-hmm. on it that you just heard. Right, right. There's a phrase that mm-hmm. I used in that movie and mm-hmm. I brought it up for 96. Right. Dolomite in the mix for 96, but we got it where it will go on in 97. It will be called Put Him in the Mix. The bad, bad dolomite. Indeed. In other words, I got a version set for ninety-seven, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and people are going to be able to obviously just buy this in any store, then, right? Yes, okay, it's going right. to be coming out. This was just my first release of the uh, particular uh, com, not compact, but uh, uh, cassette. Okay, but it is coming out on compact disc also. Okay, what labels is going to be on? You speak of uh, me doing things myself. Mm-hmm. I have my own label. Okay. And my label is called Generation International. And my motion picture company was Generation International, a okay. division of Comedian International uh, uh, Enterprises. Okay. So I'd like to say to young people out here today that are trying to do something for themselves, trying to make a record, you can do it yourself. Get your little money together and make your own record. As long as the disc jockeys can be just a little bit uh, uh, congenial to you and give you a little break to play your stuff, Mm -hmm. a lot of them could make it. But sometimes some of the DJs in some markets, it's a little bit cold to uh, newcomers, especially hometowners. Hey, I got to give that a round of applause because that is the facts most definitely. Let's talk about how many albums have you had all together, I mean, in, in the entire history of, of Rudy well, Ray. Well, I have 18 of my own. Okay. Now, I did uh, two albums for the Duto Record Company. That was the label that had the late, great Red Fox. Okay. And I did another album for another company. So in all, I would say about 22 uh, party records I have. And were, those, were most of those before the movies? 
Uh, no. Okay. About 18, about uh, 15 of them was before the movies. Okay. The, the, the record is what started me into the movies. Right, right. I did Dolomite on record first, and then I wanted to try to uh, branch my career out, see what other direction I could take. Mm -hmm. So I got my money together that I made off of Dolomite. Mm -hmm. When I say made off of Dolomite, I own the record. Right. And the monies that I made, I invested it in the motion picture. Mm -hmm. So we come up with Dolomite, although I was made fun of, they talked about me, so though the fool is over there spending all of his money trying to make a movie mm -hmm. that'll never get shown in the theater. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And God is my secret judge, the movie is still playing. Most definitely. Today. So that, that really and truly gives me a lot of admiration for you, even more than what I had, simply because I had no idea that you you, I mean, usually the artist is someone that a lot of times gets manipulated by the corporation or the big boys. And it's just great to hear that you were behind your own movies. I mean, that's like... If I hadn't made movies on my own, I'd have never been in one mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. nobody was going to give me a break. So I took my money and I had a story written by a fellow in Los Angeles, Jerry Jones, wrote it, and uh, come out with the movie, blocked busted in many major markets. Mm -hmm. Chicago, seven lines, seven deep to see Dolomite. They wanted to know if Dolomite is as bad in the movie as he was in the record, the character Dolomite. And as a result, people come out. One writer in Chicago Defender said Dolomite is cold, crude, and coarse, and vulgar. It's <laughs> not fit for uh, blind dog to see. <laughs> And this brought people out by droves. <laughs> I thanked the man thank for him, writing right? that article. I said, man, I want to thank you. I said, people are lying in the streets to just to see how crude and cold and vulgar I am. Indeed. It really sold tickets. Indeed, indeed. So Dolomite was number one. It was the first one. It was the first one, yes. Right. And number two was? was the Human Tornado. Human Tornado. Okay. Which was kind of like the sequel? The sequel to okay. Dolomite. Then after that, I did Petey Wheatstall, The Devil's Son-in-law, <laughs> the high chef of hell, and uh, 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 the the next picture I made. After I did that, the other big companies was calling for me to do things right. with them. Even Warner Brothers asked mm -hmm. me to do a picture with Richard Burton called The Heretic. That was a sequel to The Exorcist. And I'd gotten, my chest had got stuck out and they didn't offer me enough money. Right. So I turned that down. I should have went on done it anyway, mm -hmm. just for the credit. Mm -hmm. uh, and after that, another company, American International Pictures, mm -hmm. you know, the company that filmed Pam Greer and William Marshall with Abby and they called me in to do a film which was uh, with the Maki Hustle with uh, Yafet Koto and the lady that died last year in the, from the soap operas, Rosalind Cash. Okay. We did that movie and then after that I come out with my movie, The Disco Godfather. Right, okay. And that okay. was the end of my film career okay. until I started doing the little bit roles, like in mm -hmm. the Great White Hype. They used great footage. Sorry to say, but that was the best part of the movie, right? <laughs> the footage was greatly used. And then uh, I did a picture the other day. You heard of the uh, actress Halle Berry? Yes, of course. I did a movie with her uh, the other day. Uh, I'm doing one scene in it, okay. cameo role, okay. but the only scene mm -hmm. I'm doing my lines with her. Mm -hmm. Then I did another movie this year to come out next year. It is simply called Faking the Funk okay. with uh, Tone Loke and Ernie Hudson. You know, mm -hmm. Ernie Hudson played in uh, uh, 
Ghostbusters. Okay. Yes. okay. And I played did you know, uh, Dr. King's story. And what, what's your character like in Fake the Funk? Fake in the Funk, I am a barber in it, cutting hair. Mm-hmm. And I do a joke in it. It's um, slightly explicit. I do a joke in it while I'm cutting one of the fellows' hair. Okay. And uh, <laughs> talking with people and jiving with them in right. the barbershop. Okay. Macking. Can you dig it? I'm the player. <laughs> yes. That's, that's, I got one, a record called The Player. Okay. Uh, yes. Bonafide, energized, and qualified. All and right. so forth and so on. Indeed. Can you dig? So let, let's talk a little bit about the... The background, I mean, where did that come from? Was that just something that you... Oh, no, 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 no. I was never pimping, hustling, and macking. Okay. Not in real life. I've always been able to go out and work and uh, provide a living for myself. Okay. It's just that I'm portraying uh, characters like uh, James Cagney in the movie. He wasn't an actual killer, but he played as a killer. Right, right, okay. So I wasn't an actual pimp. I may have played as one, but uh-huh. I wasn't actually one. Okay. I don't want people to be misunderstood okay. that he was an old pimp. No, I was. Okay, so who's the real Ray, Ray Moore? Who's the real Ray I Moore? I am the real Rudy Ray Moore, okay. humanitarian gentleman and spokesman for the now generation that are trying to get breaks in showbiz. Indeed, that's great. That's wonderful. Let's talk about karate. Were you a fan of karate? Karate, yes. Uh-huh. Okay. I was taught uh, karate to do in films by Howard Jackson, karate champion. He had uh, took me and drilled me in his school for a month or so and got me in where I could do moves with angles and so forth. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be so great in the film to make it look great. Oh, they'll make you do one move and then chop it up and put mm-hmm. something else and do this and chop that up and throw mm-hmm. that together. Editing makes mm-hmm. you look real great. Like the human tornado, I did some terrible fight scenes in it. Did you ever like wear like some of the clothes, like the clothing was really elaborate and especially in Dolomite. Did you ever wear that type of clothing out, outside of the um, film? Yes, and still wear it now. Okay. <laughs> yes, they'll have these uh, 1970 balls and they want you to wear these clothes and I pulls them out all uh-huh. the moth balls and things I pulls right. out my old 70s clothes and put on in fact about it I did a sitcom uh-huh. with Martin mm-hmm. you know the Martin Lawrence right, show right, 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 right. and we did the players ball I had to get some of them clothes out to wear okay. for that they furnished costume but I used my own you still got that uh, that yellow suit that you use in Dolomite right outside of the white Lincoln <laughs> no. I've got a yellow suit, but not the yellow one I wear now. It's not that one, but I do have a yellow one. That's the favorite one that I wear to all the big uh, 70s parties. Yes, yeah, sir. That's fact. So I'm still wearing that stuff. Y'all asked me that I wear it in them days. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing it now whenever necessary. Let's talk about the 70s. The 70s, I mean, it seems so perfect for Dolomite. What's your comparison and your idea between what the 70s had that the 90s don't have? Uh, the 70s had people that were downright and real, and uh, it was the time of a movement, I think, when uh, the Afro hairstyles and clothing and so forth come out, and people were really down and had really found out themselves and found out who we were as right. people. So uh, today it has leveled off as to be where there's nothing really in the air. It's something that's fresh and new happening mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as it was in the 70s. Do you miss that? 
Uh, not really. I have lived it. I mean, I just wish the people today that are coming behind me could live uh, something positive, uh, uh, industry, uh, movement that is uh, progressive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you made the movies, when you made Dolomite, I mean, I know you were a comedian, but do you feel that the movie was made for people to take as any type of dramatic type role or was it just a straight comedy? No, the movie Dolomite, let me tell you. Okay. When I made Dolomite, a lot of the organizations and so forth was against the structure of what type of movies that I made then. Mm -hmm. But I was not totally directly in favor of being so coarse and crude and rude on the screen. But I did this in order to survive on the screen. Should I have made something for church folks, it would have died the first day at the box office. Right. So in other words, what I did, I made something that would stand up at the box office, controversial, that people would come out to see. So that was my idea about making a movie of that type mm -hmm. in those days. Mm -hmm. Do you consider yourself the creator or the pioneer of those type of flicks like the Foxy Browns and, and the Max? Not really. No. They were out uh, during my same period. They had ideas, mm -hmm. too, but they were financed by others. I was financed by myself. Right. They were financed by the big companies, mm -hmm. Foxy Brown and the Mac was some of the big companies in Hollywood that did that. So naturally, they had a little bit more money to work with and maybe able to come out with a better product. But in knowing that I had the little amount of money that I had, mm -hmm. I had to come out as controversial and strong and as hard-hitting as I could. Mm -hmm. That was my idea in those days. So in that time frame, the, the audience looked at that, at that character as a, as a serious role. This is like, it wasn't no, really no comedy involved, was it? Yes, it was done in a comedic, with comedic, it was violence with comedic overtone. Mm -hmm. Other words, I tried to do things that was hard-hitting, but in order to level it off, I would try to add the comedic overtones to it. Mm -hmm. But some of my scenes are strictly violent without comedic overtones, especially right. the one in the club with my uh, acting friend, the late DeVille Martin. And I think I did uh, have a karate chop to the stunner. And uh, it was gruesome on the screen. That's what we were looking for, shock value, in other words. You had to shock people in seats. So this was my idea, is to shock them. And you may make some money and can stay out there. So this was my idea. I didn't care about what the group said. They never offered me one dime to make no right. picture with, so they had no right to criticize. Was it hard to get it out into the mainstream? My movies? Mm -hmm. No. No? Due to the fact I made the movie, the distributor didn't have nothing invested. All they could do is take a chance and putting it out there and see if it worked. And then it did work. They took my movie and put it on the screen and it worked. Were you surprised? No. I wasn't surprised. I just knew if I could be shown out there, it would work. My people would come out to see me. Indeed, indeed. And they did. And they still do. They st well, it's still renting in their people's mm -hmm. homes. That's right. It's in the video stores. Blockbusters got it all over the country. And most definitely. And, mm -hmm. and since we have such a demand for Dolomite and Rudy Ray Moore flicks, can we see 1997, 1998 Dolomite? We're supposed to be doing a movie now called The Sons 
of Dolomite. Okay. No okay. <laughs> it's based on a story where I had went across country and had been with different women of different types all over the country and come up with all these boys. And these mothers that I'm going to send you to your dad. And here come all these grown boys of 18, 19 years old, the sons of Dolomite. So that is what's in the working now. If we can ever get the money to uh -huh, do it, uh -huh. I'm not financing any more pictures. I'm tired. okay. Okay. Somebody finance one on me, I'll do it. And let's talk about what can we expect at a Rudy Ray Moore show this evening. At a Rudy Ray Moore show, you will see me doing one of the great monologues in my life. The one I do way down in the jungle deep. <laughs> the lion stepped on the signifying monkey's feet. <laughs> The monkey said, man, can't you see you standing on my doggone feet? The lion said, I ain't heard a word you said. If you say three more, I'll be standing on your head. It will be slightly more explicit than that tonight. But it is one of the main things that okay. I'll do. My character, the signifying monkey, and then a lot of the stand-up humor that I do, uh, about, uh, I says Adam and Eve. You know, we as black people sometimes wonder, and talk about Adam being white and talk about Adam being black. Mm -hmm. I said, it's impossible mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for Adam to be black. <laughs> Somebody said, Rudy, why? I said, you ain't never seen a soul brother give up a real baby. <laughs> so I'll be doing a lot of humor tonight indeed, indeed. that people can enjoy. And then I have my character, Dr. Sex. You hear the Dr. Ruth Westheimer. You heard of her? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not lame like her. I give it soul brother point. <laughs> and I tell all of the ladies and all of the gentlemen how to satisfy your woman, fellas, and ladies how to satisfy fire your man all right more explicit though than that but if you listen to me you'll be able to get your thing better together all right save your man girl <laughs> save him be a lady at all times because that's what you are whether you with your man or not those are the final words that i say to him Indeed. and i talk to the the men the ugly men the men that uh there's no kind of compassion about how to satisfy his lady i explains to them on the stage quite right. explicitly okay. too let me tell you it's been a pleasure i know that you have to get going because your show is going to be starting um about 10 o'clock 10 o'clock and uh, everybody got to go check out mr moore down at the uh, crossroads blues club on uh, South OBT. Also known as Dolomite. Also known as Dolomite. Also known as Petey Wheat Straw. Indeed. And, and they used to call me Pimpin' Sam. I threw that one out. Mac and Sam, we gonna Mac call him. And, and Wild Man Steve is my co-star. Everybody knows the Wild Man. Wow. He is quite quite rough too okay so ladies and gentlemen out there in radio land don't come out there expecting to get in free uh -uh. <laughs> come in there trying to get in free i wish you severe chest pain <laughs> so get ready to come on out and pay something because i'm getting paid there very weekly okay i mean weekly too okay <laughs> i come in here into orlando by plane mm -hmm. <laughs> plain old bus <laughs> 
send me back by one of them airlines. <laughs> not value jet. I'm not riding. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And I'm hoping one day you will write a book. Thank you. Okay. I have an autobiography now. Okay. It's unauthorized, but there is one out on me now, out of North Carolina. It's unauthorized. Mm. Okay. So so you didn't have anything to do with the... A making. little bit. Okay. I explained some things to them. But uh, I'd like to say I thank you all so much for bringing me down to your Well, thank you. Station. Thank you. It's been an it honor. It has been a ball. Thank you very much. Definitely give it up. Give it up.